how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Meredith Danluk started her career as a visual artist. She soon moved into directing, starting with music videos and now feature films. Thanks to female directors like Catherine Bigelow, she knew it was possible to make it in a predominantly men's world. Her latest film, State Like Sleep, stars Catherine Watterson, Luke Evans, and Michael Shannon. The plot follows a woman grappling with the consequences of her celebrity husband's double life after he commits suicide. In this interview, Dan Luck tells fans that millions of dollars aren't necessary to make a full-length feature. We also discuss transitioning career, the benefits of note cards, keeping a low overhead as an artist, and the importance of fleshing out supporting characters. Sure. I, um, I started out as a visual artist and... Um, you know, then segued into more and more installation work and photography, video art, and then had some friends that were in bands that um, asked me if I wanted to do their music videos. So then all of a sudden realized that I was now directing music videos. And then some friends who were starting a media company called Vice um, started working at Vice and doing documentaries and and then it just it um it was one of those paths that really developed organically you know at the time it seemed like i was just kind of doing doing whatever uh doing whatever i could do you know like wherever i could earn a living and um it seemed really random and now looking back it all seems very very sensible and and uh, organized and linear so um so yeah that's uh that's how i came to filmmaking how did you kind of take on those new transitions and those stepping stones? Did you kind of, when you're moving to the next, you know, uh, phase of creativity, did you study other people in that field or what, what kind of helped you get to uh, the director's seat? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I always loved movies. Mm -hmm. Movies were the kind of, that was like the Holy grail, but you know, I, I never thought of, I never thought of um, filmmaking as something that was really within my reach. It seemed so huge, so expensive, 
it seemed like he needed access to this whole other world and this other, like almost like another level, another class system that I, that I had no access to. Um, and, um, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I remember I was, I was uh, talking about this this morning, the first time I saw Point Break by Catherine Bigelow, I had to, I had to like look it up and see like, wait, was that directed by a, a woman? Like that's, whoa, like that's a, you know, like, I, it's just like now I think things are different. Obviously there's, you know, I think it's a whole movement now, but growing up, I, I don't, I didn't have that kind of, um, I didn't see it as a possibility. So, you know, like looking at, I, I always, I always went to the movies. Um, and I feel like being, you know, having inspiration from other people's creativity is like, you know, I don't think that you can, I don't think you can make movies or any kind of art in a vacuum, really. I think it's a, um, such a, such a gift to be able to watch other people's work and, and see, hear other people's music and, and, and visual art, you know, that this is, these are all the kind of influences that I think are, um, available and around and really inspiring. Mm-hmm. What advice might you have for people like a lot of our listeners, a lot of first time directors have done a short or a couple of shorts, but jumping to that first feature is usually a larger transition. What advice do you have for those people kind of ready, getting ready to make that big move? Well, that's, you know, it is a huge transition because you need so many people to make a to make that jump. And there's a lot of different ways to make a feature too. You know, there's a uh, ways, you know, you don't need millions of dollars. Sometimes, sometimes it takes millions of dollars, but if you, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's, especially now with, with the accessibility and cameras, you see a, a movie like Tangerine and you're like, Oh, but that's, that's a way to make a feature. You get your friends together, you shoot it on iPhone. And if that's like, if that's not your trip, then, like and then it's a much it's a much longer and harder road to access the financing and the team that you really need to to push the rock up the hill um and i think the the real i mean the best piece of advice i i i would give if if you want to if you don't want to do i mean regardless of the scale is that you need a team you need um you need people that believe in it just as much as you do. You know, I think I was very lucky early on. I met um, some great producers that believed in the script and they believed in me and together we put the movie together and it, it took a few years, but none of us ever doubted in the process. We always knew that the movie was going to exist one way or another and we were going to make it happen. So having that kind of um, unwavering faith and, the uh, the team that's that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Did you kind of, um, as far as your artistic career, a lot of people are hesitant to jump in. Did you kind of, you know, remove the safety net? Did you ever go completely in? What kind of, you know, any, any stories like that you can tell us about? Um, you know, I think I, I've also had a little bit of luck <laughs> because I was. Um, <laughs> I think that's you know, not to not to be. Uh, you know, not to be underestimated, luck and right time, right place. All these things are, are you know, the 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 the, the, the universe conspiring in your favor. Um, I uh, I was still in art school in New York, and a friend of a friend was opening up an art gallery, and 
put a couple of small pieces of mine in the show. And the playwright, Edward Albee, came in and bought the pieces. And so this young art dealer named Andrew Kreps uh, thought that was so cool. So he offered me a solo show. And, and then I, got, I had the solo show, and we sold out of the solo show. And a lot of pieces, again, to Edward Albee. So, and then from that point, I was like, oh, whoa, like I made a little bit of money. I made enough money to get a long-term lease on a commercial loft that I split up into smaller spaces, rented them out to my friends, which subsidized my rent. So I didn't have to have like a normal job. I could just survive on very little money and be an artist. So that, um, that, early, that early bit of success was enough for me to have the confidence that carried me through tougher times that felt a little, um, that otherwise would have like sent me, you know, I don't know, back to trade school or something, you know, it's, it's very, very hard to, to like keep the faith when you're an artist and, and keep your eyes on, on what it is you want to do. And sometimes, you know, like even the work I did with vice that started out as, okay, like I need to earn some money right now. I'm going to work for my friends over at vice. And I wound up doing some of the most exciting creative work I've ever done during that process. So sometimes going with the flow, doing what you need to do to survive and finding ways to make, to make those jobs creative. That's the key to the path of the artist because creativity can, you know, can be wherever you you can make it. It's, um, it's just, uh, you know, it's not always wrapped up in fame and money. Sometimes it's just, it's, uh, you know, just your own creative satisfaction. Sounds like you did a great job of kind of taking away some of that risk in the beginning as well. So let's talk about your, your new film. How, where did this idea originally come from for State Light Sleep? Um, well, I had, it's, it's interesting. I had uh, the, the, the very, very first inkling of, of the idea. Um, I knew I wanted to make a, a feature film. I'd done a, a four screen, a more experimental project. It was a four screen feature um, that played in like a black box. So you're surrounded by four screens and there's chairs in the middle. And it was a narrative, very conventional narrative structure, but that played out on four screens with four different characters. Um, <clears throat> so after that, I was completely sold. I was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm doing now. I am going to write a script. I'm going to direct a movie. What am I going to write about? Let's see. And started coming up with all these kind of whatever genre bogus ideas. And, um, and about a week after I kind of decided this, you know, this was my path, I got a phone call in the middle of the night that my mother was in the hospital in Brussels and, um, which is where I, I used to live. And, uh, I had to, kind of pick up everything and go take care of her. Um, but it was also uh, going back to this life that I had walked away from, a kind of tumultuous relationship that I literally like left in the middle of the night. Um, so when I was there, I just worked with Ben Foster um, on that experimental film project. And he said, you know, this is, if you want to write a movie, then start writing things down. The best, the best things always come from real places. So I started writing down little scenes here and there and details. And, um, 
and then it just uh it started to form i hadn't ever and written a you know a, a you know what i would say a conventional feature film before so i had a lot to learn and um but it really started there with really paying attention uh to the details of of these scenes and um kind of what what i was experiencing emotionally and um and and trying to organize it all into some kind of coherent plot. <laughs> right. What do those notes look like? Do you carry a notebook with you or write things down on your phone? How do you kind of start to shape those little pieces together? Uh, that's uh, such a it's, – it's funny because I actually – you know, we shot a few days in Brussels for State Lake Sleep, and we were in a car, and we drove past a stationary shop. And I was like, stop the car. I, this is, this is where I first bought note cards. Cause I like, you know, I, <laughs> so I've got these note cards and, um, this is before I, you know, read any screenwriting book or anything. I didn't know about the whole card system yet. Um, but I got these note cards thinking like, oh, these are easy. I'll carry these around. I'll jot some things down. And sometimes it was just a word. Sometimes it was, you know, some dialogue, and, and I just started, you know, I probably, while I was there, you know, I just kept them, kept them in my bag and, and, you know, started, had these little pieces of paper. And then I got back home and started making sense of them. So the, uh, you know, the mother in the hospital uh, made it into the beginning of the film. How did you kind of start to move that story into the genre and what, what attracted you to this genre that the film is? Um, well, you know, a, a, a lot of the movie is is based in uh, in personal experience, and I kind of um, I folded some I folded a, a, a couple of things into the story. So, if, you know, years prior, I had a friend commit suicide, and that was a really tumultuous time that. Uh, I think for, for myself and a lot of people just in the peer group, um, there was a lot of confusion and a lot of feelings of complicity. And, um, and there was also this really interesting aspect of kind of almost like detective work that emerged like, well, okay, you know, who was this person with and, and where were they going? And like, who, who sold them the drugs? And let's, you know, it was almost like everyone wanted to know more details as if to extricate themselves from the situation or, mm. or at least like alleviate some feelings of guilt. And, um, and then I read Joan Didion's year of magical thinking where she describes a very similar process after losing her husband and, and kind of the sleuthing and the compiling of information. And it really lends itself quite naturally to the murder mystery, you know, it, it is, I mean, the biggest mystery in life is death. And so to explore it using some of the architecture of, of that genre and the tropes of that genre, it just started, it really emerged and, and became the tone and the motor of the script. You mentioned the art piece that was um, the, the four screens around someone. And does that kind of help you use those aspects to help you write character now? Do you think get inside of both characters' heads in each scene in the same manner? Oh, totally. I mean, that's that's such a good question because um, it's, you know, I'm, I'm working on a, a script right now that's 
much more of like a even kind of three-hander script, whereas this one is is really, you know, it's really Catherine's, um, the protagonist. And in the, it's getting into the heads of each character, because you have to, you know, you have to be all of these people as you're, as you're writing, you have to speak in their voice and writing for those four, for the four screen, I was, I, I was forced to write from their perspective simultaneously because they had their own movies. Whereas if you're writing a more conventional short or a more conventional, uh, you know, feature structure, there's, you know, typically you're going to have your single protagonist that you're writing from his or her perspective. And, um, and what that, you know, what can happen with that is that uh, the supporting characters can wind up just being, uh, ciphers or in service of that protagonist instead of their own fully fleshed out people. But um, for State Like Sleep, I really felt like the all the supporting characters were really um, fully fleshed out and completely, uh, you know, they they I I knew them inside and out. They I knew how they talked, how they moved, what their sense of humor was, you know, what they would and wouldn't do. And and I definitely think that writing for the the four screen feature enabled me to um, at least have a little bit of dexterity within that. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, master the freelancer mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset. Step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.